0: Chapter 6 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger Jr. Chapter 6. THE BURNING BALES Where are you going to sleep tonight? asked Ben, introducing a subject which had given him some anxiety. I don't know, said Jerry carelessly. I'll find a place somewhere. I'll go with you if you'll let me, said Ben. In course I will. I haven't got any money. What's the odds? They don't charge nothing at the hotel where I stop. What time do you go to bed? Most any time. Do you feel sleepy? Rather. I didn't sleep much last night. Well, we'll go and find a place now. How'd you like sleeping on cotton bales? I think that would be uncomfortable. There's a pile of bales down on the pier, where the New Orleans steamers come in. Maybe we could get a chance there. All right. Where is it? Pier 8, North River. It'll take us 20 minutes or maybe half an hour to go there. "'Let's go,' said Ben. "'He felt relieved at the idea of so comfortable a bed "'as a cotton bale "'and was anxious to get stowed away for the night. "'The two boys struck across to Broadway "'and followed that street down past Trinity Church, "'turning down the first street beyond. "'Rector Street, notwithstanding its clerical name, "'is far from an attractive street. "'Just in the rear of the great church,' and extending down to the wharves, is a collection of miserable dwellings, occupied by tenants upon whom the near presence of the sanctuary appears to produce little impression of a salutary character. Ben looked around him in ill-concealed disgust. He neither fancied the neighborhood nor the people whom he met. But the island is very narrow just here, and he had not far to walk to West Street, which runs along the edge of Manhattan Island and is lined with wharves. Jerry, of course, did not mind the surroundings. He was too well used to them to care. They brought out opposite the pier. There it is, said Jerry. Ben saw a pile of cotton bales heaped up on the wharf in front. Just behind them was a gate, and over it the sign of the New Orleans Company. I should think somebody would steal the bales, said Ben. Are they left out here all night? "'There's a watchman round here somewhere,' said Jerry. "'He stays here all night to guard the bales. "'Will he let us sleep here?' "'I don't know,' said Jerry. "'We'll creep in when he isn't looking.' The watchman was sitting down, leaning his back against one of the bales. A short pipe was in his mouth, and he seemed to be enjoying his smoke. This was contrary to orders, for the cotton being combustible might easily catch fire.' But this man, supposing that he would not be detected, indulged himself in the forbidden luxury. Now creep along softly, said Jerry. The latter, being barefooted, had an advantage over Ben, but our young adventurer crept after him as softly as he could. Jerry found a bale screened from observation by the higher piles on each side, where he thought he could sleep unobserved. Following his lead, Ben stretched himself out upon it, The watchman was too busily occupied with his pipe to detect any noise. "'Ain't it comfortable?' whispered Jerry. "'Yes,' said Ben, in the same low tone. "'I wouldn't ask for nothing better,' said Jerry. Ben was not so sure about that. But then he had not slept out hundreds of nights, like Jerry, in old wagons or on doorsteps or wherever else he could. So he had a different standard of comparison.' He could not immediately go to sleep. He was tired, it was true, but his mind was busy. It was only twelve hours since he had landed in the city, but it had been an eventful twelve hours. He understood his position a little better now, and how much he had undertaken in boldly leaving home at ten years of age and taking upon himself the task of earning his living. If he had known what was before him, would he have left home at all? Ben was not sure about this. He did own to himself, however, that he was disappointed. The city had not proved the paradise he had expected. Instead of finding shopkeepers eager to secure his services, he had found himself uniformly rejected. He began to suspect that it was rather early to begin the world at ten years of age. Then again, though he was angry with his father, he had no cause of complaint against his mother. She had been uniformly kind and gentle and he found it hard to keep back the tears when he thought how she would be distressed at his running away. He had not thought of that in the heat of his first anger but he thought of it now. How would she feel if she knew where he was at this moment resting on a cotton bale, on a city wharf penniless and without a friend in the great city except the ragged boy who was already asleep at his side? She would feel badly. Ben knew that and he half regretted having been so precipitate in his action. He could remedy it all and relieve his mother's heart by going back. But here Ben's pride came in. To go back would be to acknowledge himself wrong. It would be a virtual confession of failure. And moreover, knowing his father's sternness, he knew that he would be severely punished. Unfortunately for Ben, his father had a stern, unforgiving disposition that never made allowances for the impulses of boyhood. He had never condescended to study his own son, and the method of training he had adopted with him was in some respects very pernicious. His system hardened instead of softening, and prejudiced Ben against what was right, maddening him with a sense of injustice, and so preventing his being influenced towards good. Of course, all this did not justify Ben in running away from home, The thought of his mother ought to have been sufficient to have kept him from any such step. But it was necessary to be stated, in order that my readers might better understand what sort of a boy Ben was. So, in spite of his half-relenting, Ben determined that he would not go home at all events. Whatever hardships lay before him in the new life which he had adopted, he resolved to stand them as well as he could. Indeed, however much he might desire to retrace his steps— he had no money to carry him back. Nor could he obtain any, unless he should write home for it. And this again would be humiliating. Ben's last thought, then, as he sank to sleep, was that he would stick to New York and get his living somehow, even if he had to black boots for a living. At the end of an hour, both boys were fast asleep. The watchman, after smoking his pipe, got up, and paced up and down the wharf drowsily. He did not happen to observe the young sleepers. If he had done so, he would undoubtedly have shaken them roughly and ordered them off. It was rather fortunate that neither Ben nor his companion were in the habit of snoring, as this would at once have betrayed their presence, even to the negligent watchman. After a while the watchman bethought himself again of his pipe, and filling the bowl with tobacco, lighted it. Then, with the most culpable carelessness, he half reclined on one of the bales and took comfort. Not having prepared himself for the vigils of the night by repose during the day, he began to feel uncommonly drowsy. The whiffs came less and less frequently, until at last the pipe fell from his lips, and he fell back fast asleep. The burning contents of the pipe fell on the bale and gradually worked their way down into the interior. Here the mischief soon spread. What followed may easily be imagined. Ben was aroused from his sleep by a confused outcry. He rubbed his eyes to see what was the matter. There was something stifling and suffocating in the atmosphere, which caused him to choke as he breathed. As he became more awake, he realized that the cotton bales among which he had taken refuge were on fire. He became alarmed and shook Jerry energetically. "What's up?" said Jerry drowsily. "I ain't done nothing. You can't take me up." "Jerry, wake up. The bales are on fire," said Ben. "I thought twas a cop," said Jerry, rousing and at a glance understanding the position of affairs. "Let's get out of this." That was not quite so easy. There was fire on all sides, and they must rush through it at some risk. However, it was every moment getting worse, and there was no chance for delay. "'Follow me!' said Jerry, and he dashed through, closely pursued by Ben. By this time, quite a crowd of men and boys had gathered around the burning bales. When the two boys rushed out, there was a general exclamation of surprise. Then one burly man caught Jerry by the arm and said, "'Here's the young villain that set the bales on fire!' ''Let me alone, will you?'' said Jerry. ''Your grandmother set it on fire, more likely.'' No sooner was Jerry seized than another man caught hold of Ben and forcibly detained him. ''I've got the other,'' he said. ''Now, you young rascal, tell me how you did it,'' said the first. ''Was you smoking?'' ''No, I wasn't,'' said Jerry shortly. ''I was sleeping alone with this other boy.'' "'What made you come here to sleep?' "'Cause we had not no other bed.' "'Are you sure you wasn't smoking?' "'Look here,' said Jerry contemptuously. "'You must think I'm a fool to go and set my own bed on fire.' "'That's true,' said a bystander. "'It wouldn't be very likely.' "'Who did it then?' asked the stout man suspiciously. "'It's the watchman. I seed him smoking when I turned in.' "'Where is he now?' Search was made for the watchman, but he had disappeared. Awaking to a consciousness of what mischief he had caused through his carelessness, he had slipped away in the confusion and was not likely to return. The boy tells the truth, said one of the crowd. I saw the watchman smoking myself. No doubt the fire caught from his pipe. The boys are innocent. Better let them go. The two custodians of Jerry and Ben released their hold and they gladly availed themselves of the opportunity to remove themselves to a safer distance from their late bedchamber. Two fire engines came thundering up, and streams of water were directed effectively at the burning bales. The flames were extinguished, but not till considerable damage had been done. As the two boys watched the contest between the flames and the engines, From a safe distance, they heard the sonorous clang of the bell in the church tower, ringing out twelve o'clock. End of chapter 6 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista